0: Welcome to More Than a Refresh, a podcast about data and the people who wrangle it. Today we are recording from Astoria, Queens, Santa Fe, New Mexico, and Lexington, Massachusetts. Our guest today is Bobby Carlton. Bobby, introduce yourself.
1: Hello there. How are you doing? I'm Bobby Carlton. I'm the founder of Innovation Women. I'm also the founder of Innovation Nights. And my day job is I run a PR and marketing firm called Carlton PR and Marketing.
0: Interesting. So you did your day job intersects with Innovation Women and Innovation Nights, I would assume, but those are volunteer efforts.
1: I uh, I tend to think of them as the day job, the night job, and the dream job. So Innovation Women oh. is the dream of more women on stage at conferences and events.
0: Well, let's let's talk about that because uh, you know I'm in tech. And I actually run technical conferences. We have one coming up in April called Postgres Conference. It's about the open source Postgres database. Uh, and that's it. and getting usually getting women to attend is not difficult. Getting women to present, on the other hand, can be. So
1: talk to mm. us a little
0: bit about that. What is innovation women doing women doing to help with that?
1: Okay, so. One of the things about conferences and events and public speaking is there's a little bit of a black box quality to it where I have attended events where I sit in the audience with a whole group of other women and we watch what I call the male, pale, and stale panels. It's generally the same for old white guys. And I do have to say, I have nothing against old white guys. I am married to an old white guy, although he was not old when I married him. I don't know what happened. All right. Getting back to the topic at hand. Yes. Yes. So the male panel and stale panels are a fixture, particularly in the tech arena, because of a number of different factors. Number one. Uh, People who get invited to speak are often more senior people in a corporation. And when you look at senior people in a corporation, especially in tech, you often see "Hmm, older white guys. So if you're inviting the CEO of a company to speak, you have a better than average shot of getting old white guy. Number two. One of the things that I pushed back really hard on when I first started playing in this field was what event managers told me. I invite women, they say no. And I was like, come on, really? And I have to admit, the answer is often true, but it's not for the reasons you think. It is not that we are delicate flowers and shy and retiring. It's the realities of our lives. Number one, we are more likely to work for smaller companies. Number two, we are more likely to work part-time. And you can check Bureau of Labor statistics on this, okay? We are more likely to work part-time, and it is super hard to go to a conference, which is two or three days, especially if you're looking at travel, if you only work two or three days a week. Like I'm going to be gone an entire week just to go and speak for an hour. I might not make that decision. Number three, we are still more likely to be responsible for kids in home, which means that it's super hard to be breakfast keynote speaker. If you've got to put little Johnny on the bus at 8am. So these are reasons women say, no, they turn down opportunities. Also, public speaking is often, I call it a pipeline problem. You know, you don't just vault onto the main stage. You spend time hanging out in the panel area. You spend time doing breakouts and workshops and things like that. So there's a lot of investment for women to make before they get onto the main stage. Before they say yes to public speaking and before they get those opportunities.
0: Okay. Huge yes. issue. <laughs> okay. Yes, but. Systemic but, issue. But in, systemic <laughs> issue. Let me give an and. Mm-hmm. And men have this have different but similar issues in terms of, like you said, the pipeline. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, however, it, you said something that was interesting. You said invite. Yes. Why do I have to invite you? Ah, so now, let me, let me, let me, hold on, <laughs> let me give you a context here. Yep. Here's, here's the thing. I don't, there are a few people in my network that I will reach out to and say, Hey, just as a reminder, my conference is coming up and they'll go, Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. I'll get a, a paper submitted. Right. Yep. Most of the time we never do that. Like 99.99% of the time we announce, we go out to our network people say oh it's that time of year again they submit we do not invite right yep so talk to me about the invite problem when it comes to the better half
1: all right and for anybody listening what he is talking about is the call for speakers most industry conferences and events have what they call a call for speakers. And some annual events will do a call for speaker right after the previous year. It's generally three to six months out before the event starts to be marketed. The conference or the event or the organizers will put out a request. They'll say, hey, over here, folks. Okay, that is a call for speakers. And absolutely, I have talked to so many organizations and we talk about the fact that they have 13% women on stage, 20% women on stage. And they'll say, well, where do I find these women? And I say, usually you find them within your own organization. They already exist. You already know them. You're just not getting the applications from them. Am I right? And then they usually give me an old head nod and say, you're right. We request all the time. We say to them, hey, we have this event coming up. We particularly want you. And they still don't apply. Why is that? I could go into a practical treatise on things like imposter syndrome I could talk to you about how women are concerned that they are going to be technically heckled. And by the way, that is different from being heckled. Mm -hmm. There are so many reasons why women look at a call for speakers and say, "Uh, maybe not me. And why is that? A lot of times it's the existing representation. Um, I'm going to give you kind of an analogy. In the venture capital world, women make up a tiny fraction of the founders who are getting funding. Like right now, I think it's less than 3% of all venture capital goes to women founded companies. When women look at conferences and events, especially technical conferences and events, they look at those same kind of numbers a lot of times. They say, I'm looking on stage and I'm only seeing 10% women. Should I spend my time to apply or should I go and do something else that will further my career? Maybe I'm going to go do something else because my chances are so low. So it's not just one reason we say no, not only to invitations, but to applying. There are so many reasons. And a lot of times you see women the same women over and over again. Like speaking begets speaking. The more you speak, the more you will speak. You get the invitations. You get a signature talk that you become known for. So you keep doing the same thing. You get better at it. Like I will look back at presentations I did five years ago, 10 years ago and go, oh my God, that is horrendous. I don't ever (laughs) want to see that. So you have to keep, keep going. You have to keep doing it. The more opportunities you get to speak, the more comfortable you get with it, but also the more opportunities you get to speak. So there's a whole big world out there about speaking that we just are not
0: tapping as women. So I have to be honest. I mean, what you just said to me is women don't want to speak.
1: No, they do. That's, they just that, don't know that's the what
0: path. They well, don't know the path. You just, just now. Hold on. You just said <laughs> the call for speakers. This call for speakers goes out. Now I found it interesting that you were talking about speaking. Uh, the call for speakers going like out right after the event. Sometimes and we normally don't. Yeah. Sometimes our yeah. events we announce maybe six months in advance. Call for papers goes right there and that kind of thing. Maybe six months in advance. This last one we did four months in advance. That being said, you said the call for speakers goes out. People say, hey, there's a call for speakers. And then you said, but it's not on the priority list. There is a shorter path to professional success. There might be.
1: Yeah. I, I disagree with that. I think that one of the fastest, most direct paths to professional and career success is public speaking. I think it is the biggest shortcut you can take aside from maybe writing a book.
0: Yeah, I, w- I was actually going to say I would consider quality, number one, mm-hmm. quality content generation and public speaking. I think they're hand in hand. Yep. Um, I would agree with that. But there are – it depends on what your goal is, right? If, you're, if your goal is to be top diva, Okay. Sure, but what if your goal is to be top scientist? Why would I speak? Yeah, except for academic type journals or something like that.
1: Oh uh, well, there's there's a whole other conversation. Like the <laughs> aca- the academic world is its own animal. Yes, and yes. you know, like publish or perish. All of these opportunities, like all of these things, are really kind of tied together. And, you know, you get people who urge you to go and do things. And then there are people who, you know, kind of the devil on one shoulder, the angel on the other say, do you really need to put yourself out there? Do you really need to spend the time doing these things? You know, I look at all of the things that women are asked to do, and it's a big, long list. I had somebody who said, well... I can either spend my time applying for places that I want to speak at, or I can spend my time making cupcakes. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? That is a very different thing. And I got a whole, hear me out. And I was like, okay, I need more to the story. And the story was like, She and the other women in her office were asked to do so many things from taking the notes in the meeting to organizing the birthday parties to just crazy, uncompensated and unrecognized activities. And she's like, My day is full. And every time I'm asked to do one more thing, I roll my eyes and I think, is this really how I want to spend my time? And I don't think some of these people really truly understand the impact that public speaking can have on their careers.
0: If well, not just on the careers, but on not just their careers, but on people. Yes. So I've been I've been published uh, before I started self publishing. I've been I've been published hundreds of times. I have co written a book. I've been published as excerpts in other books, all technical. Um, and I will admit, I mean, even though I haven't written a book in 20 years, the fact that I wrote a book, it matters. Yep. Um, and I I've had publishers come to me now, and they're like, "Will you? We would like you to update this or write a new take on that." And I'm honest with them; it's not worth my time. And they'll say, "Well, you know, what about?" you know, your reputation, what about growing your professional career, and I'm like, there's not really a whole lot farther I can go, <laughs> it's yeah. just, I've kind of reached that plateau where I'm lucky in that I get to do this, and I get to help people, and I get, I don't need to necessarily be, you know, the ninja master of Postgres or Linux anymore, <laughs> but when it comes to women, uh, you know, I think anybody, I don't care who you are, Yep. if you are qualified or trying to be qualified, right? You're actually, you're you're a learner still. Uh, I think you should be given every opportunity to achieve within that realm. I don't care about your sex. I don't care about your religion I, or your po- political bent, though I might argue with you about that. I think, <laughs> you know, I don't, that's not why we're here. We're here because you said to yourself I want to publicly speak on this topic. I think it's valuable. I'm going to try and help you do that. But again, you just said when, with, the, with the story mm-hmm. of the gal who could either submit to a talk or she could bake cupcakes. And one of the things that you said was, well, her day's already so full with all this other stuff. Yep. Yeah. Now, isn't that on her? Can't she say, no, I don't have time for this because I am going to submit for this conference. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that there's asshole supervisors, right? I'm not suggesting that I'm not looking at this rose colored glass wise, but I do think that there's a certain merit to say, or accountability to saying, Hey, look, I would love to, I know you love my cupcakes. I love making them. It makes the team happy. But here's the deal. I am the resident expert on XYZ, or at least I think I am, and I want to submit to this conference, which means I'm not making cupcakes for the next 2 weeks. Isn't there isn't that partly on them? Absolutely.
1: But why should we have to keep fighting? Shouldn't the path be easier for us? If we okay. have the resident expert in our company, who just happens to be a woman, shouldn't she be supported and urged versus, hey, there's 16 other things we need you to do? Women are more likely to turn down opportunities. And when I say turn down, it's yes, invitations, but it's also the applying of your, of yourself. You're, you're doing the applications. You're reaching out. Sometimes women don't understand that they do have to reach out. Junior guys, too, often don't understand. Mm -hmm. People, managers need to put people forward to support Uh staff. And they need to urge them. them, And often the women don't get urged to do so or supported in their application efforts. Because we have an authority gap. We are not seen as the authority, even when we are the authority. There's this whole concept of mansplaining.
0: So mansplaining is sexist mm-hmm. on both sides. Uh, the idea, I mean, that's like me saying womansplaining, right? Which I would yeah. you know, if I said that in public, people would be like, oh, I don't see, we need her now. <laughs> okay. It's a load of crap. Mansplaining is just a man doing what he does. So to to be consider that a negative connotation to me is sexist. Now, that being said, you are 100% right. But the problem in my mind, in women, junior members do not have advocates. Yep. Man too many times in our, let's call it Western world, because I can't really speak to the other cultures. Okay. So In the Western world, whether the woman is in power or not, managers get where they are because they're not, not because they're managers, it's because they got nowhere else to go. So you get a lot of assholes, male and female, who are terrible human beings, who they don't care about you, they care about your result. So they don't advocate for you. They don't go to the CEO and say, hey, you know, Susan is doing a bang-up job. We should give her let's, – let's give her a paid week off, and we'll send her to this conference. All expenses paid. It's a win-win. It helps her. We look good, and it continues to move the company forward in the public eye.
1: Yeah. The more women you put on stage at conferences and events, the more resumes you get from other women – who are going, oh, there is a company that supports its women. Like from an HR point of view, you have all of these tech companies that are saying we need to increase the number of women on our teams because they do a better job when they are diverse and inclusive. Mm -hmm. But we can't attract the resumes. Why do we not attract the resumes? Because whenever I look at that company... I see men at the helm. I see men being sent to events. I see men on stages. Hmm. These are the people who are also writing the articles because they are being supported by somebody in the PR department who is probably ghostwriting that thing. So all of these things are put in place, not supporting women. So I, as a woman, I am not going to send my resume into that organization. So, that organization will remain a bastion, a holdout of maleness. And it will be extremely difficult to bring women in. And if they don't have women in, they will never be putting them on stages.
0: Well, certainly we need the population to do so. But doesn't this kind of, I'm going to state something fairly obvious here. This kind of rolls into the exact point of Innovation Women, right? You have women. And I would assume, and I would hope some men too, but predominantly women advocating for women to be public speakers and to move forward in their professional careers.
1: We have more than 2,000 female speakers and a handful of really secure guy male male allies, as well (laughs) as a number of trans people and a number of non-binary individuals.
0: So I like how you said really secure in themselves guys.
1: Guys and what male is, allies. These are people who look at innovation women and say, "Yes, I want to help, but ooh, they do cool things and I want to get involved too."
0: So, w- what is it that makes them? How can I put this? What is it makes them so secure? What, what is it? What is the 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 the, va- the assets that that they bring to the table as an ally? Uh, that says, one, I'm not going to try and pick up on you because, let's be honest, most men are going to try and pick up on you, um, even if they don't mean to, right? <laughs> um, I, I'm, th- I'm not talking about you know your stable, married old guy, right? I'm talking about the younger guys who, you know. I'm not talking about your husband. I'm sure your husband is not picking up on other women. That's not what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, seriously, what are the personality like traits, the 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 assets to these, these men that they come to the table and they're able to embrace female and emp- woman empowerment and be allies.
1: As I said, the secureness aspect, I mean, I, I kind of semi kid when I say secure males who are also part of innovation women, you know, any guy who is like, yes, I want to be a member of the innovation women organization. And I'm like, yes, because my dream is to have event managers come to Innovation Women to get speakers. And if we can get them to come to Innovation Women to get speakers and they can populate their entire event, not just women, but men and others as well, hey, then we all win. My goal with Innovation Women was to make it easy for event managers. So there's no excuses. I run events myself. You know, I understand how hard it is sometimes to track down a speaker, get them to send in your bio, their bio on time. You know, like, let's make sure we've got the abstract, all the stuff that comes along with setting somebody up as a speaker of an event. Oh, let's put it all in one place. Make it easy for the event managers. I've had event managers say, it's getting to the point now where I keep having all female speakers because I keep getting them from your site because it's so easy. And I'm like, well, we do have men now too. And they're like, Oh, well that, that's great. Now I don't have to go anywhere else. I'm
0: like awesome. Okay. Now this presents an interesting problem uh, for. Our-
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, there's a, a, a fantastically brilliant, lady uh, by the name of Henrietta, he runs a, a user group or a meetup uh, out of Chicago for the postgres Database. And she actually just recently put out a full a request for feedback. It said, look, I love that I'm surrounded by men, but I'd like some women, <laughs> right, at her meetups. What is it that we're doing wrong? Uh, and she got various responses back. But for the conference, we have a very real problem. So you're saying, let's advocate, lift up, bring people, for example, to these panels. Mm-hmm. The panel that we're looking to put on, I do not know a single woman that can attend that panel. It's not that I, they don't, I don't know if that, it's not, I'm not saying they don't exist. Mm-hmm. I am saying- You don't know them. In the network of women that I know on this specific topic, there are only men to talk about it. Oh so so I'm in this problem where I would love to have an inclusive panel of really brilliant people talking about these ideological and technological things but I really I mean my diversity is they're not I will give you this they're not all white men that's a, I mean I've it's got all kinds of different you know race and culture because in this in my world for example there's a lot of Asians there's a lot of Indians um, you know, that kind of thing, Middle Easterners, those types of things. So, but women wise, although we do get a lot of attendees and, uh, and a lot of them are very talented, they're not going to be able to speak necessarily effectively to this topic that I know of.
1: Change your format. How do
0: I solve that problem? Yeah. So change the format. To so one.
1: generally when, when somebody says to us, there is nobody in, the universe other than a bunch of guys that answer this question. I mean, there's, I, I'm number one, tempted to call BS on that because I'm pretty sure there's well, somebody I out I there, I but you don't know don't them. Exist. Right. So you just don't yes. know them. So let's find those people. Um, at that's one of the reasons, again, innovation women exists is to make it easy to find those people. Our database is searchable by location, topic, industry, You can search by title. You can search by where they went to college. You know, if you have a sense of all of the people who can speak on this topic went to this school, like our database might be able to help you. But failing all of that, say innovation women didn't exist. The things that you can do to find the women, number one, make it the problem of the guys who are on your panel. You go to them, you say, we have what's called a mantle, an all-male panel. We don't want to have a mantle. And you don't wanna be on a stage that is a mantle. People take pictures, they tweet it out, they mock you relentlessly on social media. It becomes a problem for you, your employer, us, help us find the women. Are there women in your department? Are there women in your local group? Can we change how we define who is speaking at this event so that it is more inclusive? We did an event in Boston a few years ago where they wanted to have a panel with the founders of unicorns, okay? Companies, startups that had reached a billion dollar valuation. And they had to be Boston area companies. And they went down the list. These are all the unicorns. Say it's eight companies. Every single one of them was founded by a guy. So we said, well, we're not doing that panel. We're going to do a different one. And how are we going to define it to get some of the same learnings out of that panel that we could have had out of our unicorn founder panel? So we just changed the definition of what it was we were looking for to be more inclusive, to get more women on stage. We move that particular conference from 27, 27% women to 49% women over the course of one year. Because a lot of times events and conferences, they bring the same people back or the same people apply because they're familiar with the conference. Like generally you don't apply to speak at a conference unless you've attended it. So you don't the first time out of the out of the barn door go and say I'm going to speak at that event. No, you go to it first. You attend. So reaching out to the attendees in particular, especially if you're collecting the data that allows you to see this is a person who represents some diversity. Whether it's women, whether it is people of color, whether it's disabilities, like there's all different kinds of ways to define diversity, equity, inclusion. So, collecting that data so you know who is in your database will allow you next year to go to some of those people and say, please apply. We would like to hear your voice. We would like to know what you're thinking. Also, if you're an event manager, you can be at the back of the room and see who asks questions. That's often a good way to uh, see who could potentially speak next year.
0: I'm with you 100%. Minus one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and my minus one is the, you know, people will tweet on social media. You'll be heckled. Uh, so what? Social oh, media that's not. Yeah.
1: People. I said there's two different kinds of
0: heckling. You did. You said there was technical technical heckling and heckling. Talk to me about those two things. Okay.
1: Technical heckling is something that happens to women a lot. Part of it is the, you're giving a presentation. You're talking about a, a particular way that you do a thing. Somebody stands up and says, did you ever think about this? Well, Yes, of course I did. I'm an expert in my field, but I'm talking about the you know way a. You're talking about way b, okay. The next person you know the next question is, well, did you ever consider this? Yes, of course, I did because I'm an expert in my field, like what women find is there are is hair splitting There is a lack of authority and respect afforded to them at a lot of technical conferences where they get asked questions because they are perceived to be less knowledgeable just by the fact that they are female. That's technical heckling. And I have heard from so many women who are putting up with these questions that are not asked of men that are only asked of women when they're presenting. And it's off-putting. So, I talked to one group from HP, and I probably shouldn't name names. This is several years ago where they said every single one of them had been subjected to this. And they were like, we don't want to talk anymore. It's
0: just too exhausting. Like, this, this is st- stunning to me. I mean, honestly, this is stunning to me. Now, to be fair, the conferences that I go to or the conferences that I speak at are very specific. mm Okay, I wouldn't go to an HP conference. They're not worth my time. They're not doing what's interesting to me.
1: And this is also a decade ago. So,
0: Uh, yeah, a decade. Yeah, well, there's that too. (laughs) But as an example, right? I wouldn't go to Google Next either. Okay, or reinvent. Um, They're just not. It's not where the interesting things to me are happening. The people that I deal with. Of course we do get some of the older white guys, you know, I'm going to be 50. So I got to be careful how I say this, (laughs) uh, that just we've done it this way for 30 years and it's successful. Why do we need to change? Uh, we do have some of that, but by far the majority of people that I deal with, if I say X, Y, Z, and she's a woman, they're like, awesome. (laughs) It's to me, it's kind of like, and when we see them speak, we don't necessarily, I'm sure there's exceptions. I'm not saying this is an absolute, but you know, I just, I just typed to our producer that I have literally never run into this at any conference I have ever been to. That is not to say in any way, shape or form that my little globe, my sphere is representative of the bigger problem. I am not suggesting that, but, it's, but it is to say that I am stunned that at 2023, this is still happening. Mm-hmm. On any kind of recognizable scale, right? I mean, it's always going to happen to some degree because you always got some asshat that thinks that women aren't good enough or just doesn't understand how society works. But I, I have literally in thirty years of being in this industry, I've run into this maybe twenty five years ago.
1: Yeah, maybe. And you're also still telling me that the percentage of women at the conferences that you're running is incredibly low. Yes. Right. Speaking. Attending
0: is, is relatively, it is, uh, it's probably industry comparable. It's about
1: 20%. So you're, they're not. Um, So the technical hecklers are really not getting the chance to, because they're not on, the women are
0: not on stage. So what's the appropriate result there? A woman comes on stage. And someone, doesn't matter who, technical heckler, gets up, starts doing blah, blah, blah. Is it the speaker's responsibility to say, look, okay, can we focus on the problem we're trying to solve here? Or is it a room monitor to do that? Now, the problem with the room monitor is the room monitor producer. Mm -hmm. Okay. So talk to me about that. Yep. and The producer jumps in.
1: So in general, we give women strategies for managing that great question. How about we take that offline? You know, like if somebody is being disruptive in their questioning, like there are numerous strategies to deal with this. Um, You know, I have heard everything from, uh, we have one speaker who advocates basically taking a seat in the audience and going, have at it. You seem to know so much. I would never give away my power like that. But we have one speaker who is like, Yep, that's what I did. I was like, oh, my goodness. And this was a relatively recent conversation. Oh, no. and I was like, wow, that's crazy. But, oh, you know, I, it, like her. I, I was like, that is. <laughs> and she's like, no, no. And literally, I guess there is the, oh, no, no, no. You keep going. Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> we have also, for some of the speakers We ask them, how comfortable do you feel dealing with this? If you do not feel comfortable dealing with this, say you'll take questions at the end of the presentation. Say, you know, like there's all different kinds of strategies for dealing with this. And one of them is having the producer at hand to step in and say, we're going to let our speaker finish. Thank you. Like there are just so many ways to deal with it, but in the heat of the moment, if it's something you haven't been exposed to before, or if you're just not ready to deal with that, that can be off-putting. It can be something that makes someone who may not be totally 100% comfortable on stage, second guess themselves or second guess whether they want to be doing this. I mean, we've all heard the numbers around hey, public speaking, world's biggest fear, right? You know, I mean, I've heard numbers that say everything from, you know, public speaking is the number one fear and death is like number seven, i.e. we would rather <laughs> die than be on stage. I am right. convinced that if we stopped talking about the fear of public speaking, we'd see a lot less fear of public speaking.
0: Oh, I agree with that. I mean, you create need right. or fear or whatever by continuing to produce this idea that, you know, is, oh my God, you know, I'm going to get up in front of people. Right. And I mean, it's never been a big deal for me, uh, but I do know it's a very real thing. I actually stood up uh, at, you know, at the conference, you do like a closing. And I stood up at a closing, some people were talking about. You know, how do we rate these speakers? And I was mm-hmm. like, you know, first you, you rate speakers through grace because not everybody can get up here and just do this. this for a lot of people, this is a significant effort. Um, But I want to, we've talked a lot about, you know, we do also, we have your, you know, your PR marketing firm, Carlton, and then we have innovation nights, but I do, I, and we can come back to that because I think we've covered a lot in there. Uh, I would like to come back and come down to women you know we've talked about women speaking, but there's there's the wider issue, right, which is women in tech. Mm-hmm. What is your – so talk to me a little bit give me your your 30 second of your observation of women in tech
1: number one i've I've worked in primarily tech my entire career. Uh, I started in the mid 80s. I worked at a couple of PR agencies that specialized in tech. I was the global head of public relations for two big enterprise software companies, both public companies. And quite frequently, I was the only woman in the room. And on a regular basis, my job was to get executives on stage looking back. I realized that for probably the first 20 years of my career, I never had a female client that I was doing that work for. And that was because the senior executives at these companies were primarily men. So, you know, at the same time, I look at all the data around things like colleges. Okay. Right now, there are more women getting degrees than men. Correct. The pipeline looks strong. And yet I talk to women who have been working in the industry. And I spend a lot of time with technical women and women who work at tech companies. And they will talk about how their careers are stalled or how they don't get the same opportunities they once did or perhaps they're not getting the opportunities after they had kids. You know, it's like Jane no longer wishes to travel because she has small children at home. Jane never said that. Jane would love to go and spend a night in a hotel where nobody would her <laughs> up. With a <laughs> bottle
0: of champagne and a tub and no kids. Yeah, send me <laughs> to where?
1: I don't care where. Let's go. Right. But there's assumptions that are made. And I feel like it's those assumptions that do us in, you know, the assumption that we don't want to do something. So people never look at us with that, with that light in their eye. I could send Jane to that conference. You know, I could do those things for her career. And yet Jane, meanwhile, is like, let me go let me rise let me do all these amazing things okay assumptions that's what i would point to they could put a big Uh, old wrapper around it
0: well and the assumptions are probably the death of assumptions and bad communication are the death of any relationship and but my My question here is, is why isn't Jane standing on her desk saying, look, fuckers, I'm here. I am the person to do this job. My husband supports me. He'll take care of Johnny. Send me to this conference.
1: I'm going to tell you a story. So I, my husband was the person who stayed at home with our kids. And when I was pregnant with my older son, so first time. My husband went to his company and said, child is coming. I will be staying home with said child. And I was like, oh my God, dude, how about your like Christmas bonus? That's good. That's gone now. Anyway, said child arrives early. He says, okay, child has arrived. And the company is like, great. So you're taking a paternity leave and you'll be back when? And he's like, no, no, I'm done here. Off we go. Like, literally, the (laughs) assumption is he's taking a paternity leave. Like, what? Like, there's they could not grasp that he was going to stay home and take care of kids. So I, meanwhile, am off, you know, like, I'm a corporate executive, and I suddenly have a child. I am trying to hire in my department. And as I'm trying to hire in my department, I have my boss saying to me, I have this great woman. I know you should talk to her. I talk to her. I love her. I'm like, let us hire her. And he says to me, "Mm, change my mind. Why? Well, I found out that since she worked for me, she had a baby. She's not going to be able to put in the hours I need. And meanwhile, I'm pregnant again. And I'm like, and we're doomed here. So needless to say, I came back from maternity leave and my days there were numbered. So I had two kids, even though I had a stay-at-home full-time caretaker in my husband. I got laid off. Because, oh, well, you know what? She she has kids now. She's not going to be able to put in the hours we need.
0: Eh? I so so many different ideas here. <gasps> uh, so let me let me preface this this uh mushroom cloud we're about to enter with uh not only did i raise my two daughters um i homeschooled them oh god and, bless you and i ran a company <laughs> thank you uh and i ran a company and i and let me be very clear i had a ton of support okay. i did not do this on my own the way i could have done it on my own um And where I am, it was almost novel, right? It wasn't, you're staying home with your kids. It's, oh, he's raising his daughters. If you haven't had daughters, you're not allowed (laughs) to say that to me. (laughs) Okay? So, there's that. (sighs) Okay, I'm going to say something. I know where you're coming from. I am saying this specifically because I want you to address it. What is wrong as a business with the idea of math and merit taking precedence? And when I say that, I mean as a statistic, a mother will not be able to put in the hours. That there's that idea out there. Now that may be generational, it may not even be true. Talk to me about that. That Because as a business owner,
1: I I was I I I've been asked many times, you know, it's like, Bobby, you own five companies. How do you do it all? And I'm like, I'm a really bad person to ask this of because I don't think anybody else should put in the hours I do. You know, I tend to get up extremely early in the morning and work until extremely late at night. My work, my work-life balance is terrible. Don't do what I do. And by the way, when I worked for somebody else, I was just the same. I would work very, very long hours. So the whole hours thing was just somebody's assumption. Okay. Even after I had kids, I
0: worked. Aren't you kind life. of the exception though? Oh, no. as an employer. Oh, I know. I, I'm going to disagree with you there because as an employer, I have women on the team. I have men on the team and regardless of men and women there are those people that go let's call it the extra mile whether i tell them to i we have yeah. one team member that i had to threaten to disconnect his accounts <laughs> so that he would take time off yep right i'm like if you log in i'm going to disable all your accounts and that i mean that was just like that can't happen right so they took time off well, we have those and then we have those who on the complete other spectrum, sure they put in their eight to five, but let's be real—it's eight to three. Really, more be nine thirty to three, right? It's all over the spectrum. Absolutely. So, and it's I irrelevant mean, if you have you, kids or
1: not. You know, I—you could have a really amazing pickleball habit and still work. You know, you work short hours. Like, it doesn't have to be kids. It doesn't have to be that you're a mom. It doesn't have to be that you're a dad. You know, you could be, uh, I'm a member of a choir, and I, you know, so, don't work long okay. hours.
0: That's a valid point. And when I, I guess what I'm suggesting here is, is say we've got the pickleball player, <laughs> and we have the parent. It shouldn't matter, right? right? What should matter is the merit and the value they bring to the company. Yes. Hallelujah. But I agree with you. I'm still...
1: Not quite <laughs> it it makes no sense to me either. It really doesn't. You know, like I there're so many things that defy all logic. You know, the the authority gap for women is huge. You know, just the expectation. Some of it I actually kind of attribute to brainwashing. I don't really believe in that, but brainwashing. If we continue to see old white guys on stage where they are elevated, given a pat on the back as if they have been vetted by the organization. If we continue to see white men only on stages, that is what is cemented in our mind's eye as that is a leader. That is what a leader looks like. So, We all have biases. We all have preconceived notions. This is how brains work. They lump things together. We have so many inputs that come into our brains that our brains must lump things together. Because otherwise we would be overwhelmed with data points. And so our brain categorizes things. And it says, I continue to see white men on stage. I see men who are elevated physically and um, in in practice above women, above people of color, above people who are disabled. So they must be better. They are our leaders.
0: You know, it's interesting you bring this up. What you just said is why Trump and Biden did not get my vote. I voted for Jorgensen because she was actually a qualified candidate that moving on. Let's, let's get into bad girl motifs. Talk to me about bad girl motifs,
1: (laughs) bad girl motifs. You
0: know, I I personally, I don't mind a bad girl. I mean, they can be a lot of fun. So what, what is this exactly? Help me out.
1: All right. So recently I read a story where, um, and I'm a writer. So this is, this is where this comes from. Uh, my husband, my husband actually read the article first and pointed it out to me. A writer was writing an article about how they never got enough women as expert sources for their articles. And they talked about how they had asked women who had demure uh, in the, the the, there are two different words, demur and demure. One has an E at the end, one doesn't. And a demure person is somebody who is shy and retiring. To demur is to turn something away. And they use the wrong word in the sentence. So they had basically said, no, I'm not the person to answer that question. So they were blaming that on not getting enough female expertise. And part of it is, I think that particular writer was pulled into using the wrong word because in their mind's eye, women are expected to be shy and retiring. And we are rewarded For being quiet. You know, if you think about schooling, you know, who gets in trouble? The boys who are loud and obnoxious, and girls who are rewarded or not getting into trouble because they are quieter. So I just like all of this stuff swirls around. What is the societal expectation for women? You know, whenever I swear and I use bad words frequently, am I a bad girl or am I a forceful person? Am I stepping outside of gender norms by swearing or I'm doing things that I shouldn't do? Like there's so many interesting aspects of bad and good and positive and negative negative that swirl around our expectations of women in particular. So this is a whole like super complicated area.
0: Yes. And I I must interject because you touched on something that is, is so close to my heart. And it's actually one of the reasons why I homeschooled. (laughs) You said girls do well uh, in public school and are rewarded essentially for not speaking out, not speaking their name, not having opinions necessarily. Boys get in trouble because they're rambunctious. So this is what happens. Or societal expectations Maybe it doesn't happen, no. <laughs> societal expectations. Well, here's the societal expectations of boys. You will act like a girl or we'll put you on ADHD meds. Okay? Hello, my children. So that's what, <laughs> yes, there is a reason why I uh, I homeschooled my girls. I wanted them to get an education, not an indoctrination. And they're brilliant. Weird, I will never understand them, but that's because I'm 50 and they're 20, but they're brilliant. Um and so you know you say there's a lot of societal expectations around girls and I it, it, we were just listening to uh Dare to Lead I think mm. it was. Um, and one of the things that they said she talks about is she's all about finding ways to help women, you know, reach certain things, find out what's going on. But then she, she suddenly started studying the same issues with men and there's a big divide. They're totally different. We all suffer from similar problems, but the reasons are different. Yeah, And you know, the reason boys jump up and down and want to go do things is that's how we're freaking built. Give us a hammer. Give us a two-by-four. Teach us how to tune a car. Maybe not tune a car now, but, you know, program a computer. doing our Arduino. Those types of things. Um, With these bad girl uh, motifs, I think there's two sides. One, I think that there is a male expectation of a way that a, a woman will act. Um, and it's I'm not saying every man, but I think that there's a societal things like, you know, whether a man will open the door or a woman will demur, like you said. Um but I think that there's a responsibility within society as a whole to start loudly breaking down those barriers. You know, one of the reasons I'm infinitely unemployable is I will tell someone they're stupid. Now, I'll be nice about it at first. I will try and educate the individual. I will provide citations, sources. I will give alternating opinions from respected experts. And if you still are just like, well, no, it's it's gotta be like this. I'll tell you, you're stupid. And that's why I don't work for people, right? We need as a society, and you're doing this in probably a more gentle way. Nah. But I think that in a society, <laughs> But we do, we need to start taking sledgehammers of this bullshit that, you know, that, and this isn't so much a thing anymore, but like wearing white after Labor Day or whatever that was, right? Anything like that, anything like that. A woman should be in heels. A man should be in a suit. You, should, you know, you should use a blue pin for this. You can only wear maroon loafers if you reach a certain stature, you know, whatever it is. And we need to start accepting and embracing people for the awesomeness of being human. Which includes all their shit.
1: All I can think of right now. Is. Women in their prime. Or should I say past their prime. Referring back to. Of course. What has been going on in the news lately. And. Mm-hmm. The whole. Comment about women past 50 are no longer in their prime. I personally heard that statement. I'm not even gonna dignify the guy with a name, okay? Just the guy's an ass. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> He's but, a ass. but I listened to that and I went, oh, I feel like I am just hitting my prime because I no longer give a damn what he thinks. And so I might have given a damn in my twenties and teens, but you know, at 57, I don't give a damn anymore. Like, have at it, buddy. Okay, two th- Not worth my time. Yeah. Two things.
0: I am going to say his name because he is an ass. He's always been an ass. Mm. His name is Don Lemon. And if you're watching CNN, you're also kind of an ass, just like if you're watching Fox News. If you get your news for free, you are the product. You are not getting quality information. You need to be paying attention. I mean, for goodness sake, Fox News, and believe me, I do not watch CNN. I don't watch Fox News. Fox News just came down and admitted, one, they lied about the election stuff. And Rupert Murdoch admitted this. And two, responded to a lawsuit to Tucker Carlson that said, We can't be sued because no reasonable individual would think we were telling the truth. And we have men and women, intelligent men and women, Mm -hmm. not necessarily educated, but intelligent, that are like, Tucker Carlson must run for president. Oh, God. No. No. Right? We need... uh, when I had Loran Starr on, Dr. Loran Starr, fantastic lady. If you don't know her, I'll, I'll do an intro because she's amazing But matur- uh, diversity and equity. Um, one of the things that we came to the conclusion of is it is time for the adults to take over.
1: Yes, please.
0: As a society, <laughs> the adults have stopped. We have all stopped. I don't know. It's either fear of the young people, fear of social media backlash, fear of losing your job, whatever. Enough. The adults need to step up even if we don't agree and start having honest discourse and civil argument about what is best for our society. And the people that can't do that, your Greens, your AOCs, they need to be isolated from this because they're not bringing anything valuable to the table. Stop listening to the 1% of any demographic. And start listening to the people that are actually busting their ass to make lives better for everybody.
1: When we are raising kids or building careers, it is so important that you're exposed to as many different people, ideas, environments, viewpoints, as you can possibly find. and. If we keep having the same conversations over and over again, between the same people, nothing will change. It isn't until we bring in different viewpoints that things might potentially change.
0: Agreed. 100%. All right. As a wrap up to this, I know you have another meeting. I have one last final question. You're an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. What is your advice? What is your number one advice beyond the actually fantastic advice you just gave to entrepreneurs or people who are trying to make it where we already have? Not that we're not doing new things, not that we won't fail, but you and I are in a position that is different than, say, the 20-year-old or the 25-year-old or even the 30-year-old.
1: Hire well hire smarter than yourself don't hire yourself hire people who are Mm. different who look different than you who think different than you hire well that is the best advice i can give any entrepreneur
0: i will give you a case study in reality with that um i started command prompt in 1997 our our now CEO, Amanda Nystrom, who, yes, is a woman, uh, became CEO this year. She was COO for a few years, and she was a senior project manager for a few years. It was when I stepped back and said to myself, JD, you're a terrible manager, and let her take over, that we grew threefold, number one. I hired well. Two, my one advice is more of a statement. The only result of the pursuit of perfection is failure.
1: Mm.
0: Like it. Don't be afraid to, yeah, don't be afraid to fail. The average entrepreneur goes out of business, what is it, like five times before they actually succeed, right? I mean, I don't know if that's still the case, but when the day that was the case.
1: I have five companies that I'm simultaneously managing, (laughs) I'm like, well, oh, still so
0: doing well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but keep in mind, we're at a different place, right? We're talking about the 25 year olds and the 30 year olds. Yes. And with that, folks, this has been More Than a Refresh, a podcast about data and the people who wrangle it. Bobby, thank you so much. You have been fantastic.
1: Thank you. Been really a great conversation.
0: Glad you enjoyed it.